0: Hello and welcome to My Chaotic Mind. I'm Kaz and in this podcast I'll be sharing my thoughts, opinions and experiences juggling adult life with eating disorder recovery. And maybe there'll even be a laugh or two along the way because let's face it, being an adult is difficult enough without throwing an eating disorder into the mix. So if you're ready, it's time to come with me Through the looking glass. I just wanted to mention at the outset that this episode will contain more detailed discussions around my eating disorder behaviours. So if this is something that you may find unhelpful or triggering, then please do consider whether you should listen to the rest of this episode. Thank you for joining me on what is, certainly for me, a gorgeous sunny day. And I hope that wherever you're listening right now, it's sunny for you too. Unless, of course, you happen to be listening in the middle of the night, in which case I really hope it isn't sunny because it's hard enough to sleep when you've got an eating disorder without broad daylight getting in the way. I just find sunshine makes everything feel just that little bit more bearable. Previously, I've spoken about knowing when you're actually ready to begin with recovery. And once you've made that decision, that's great, but where on earth do you begin? I remember when I made the decision that I was going to recover, I broke down in tears because I was completely overwhelmed. I had no clue where on earth to begin with the whole recovery process because there were just so many Behaviors and routines and patterns to be broken. And I just couldn't see how I could just let go of everything all at once. And I think it's very normal to feel like that because when you become very, very ill, and if you've been ill for a long time, everything has become so entrenched, it's second nature. And it's basically facing the prospect of pretty much relearning everything from scratch and trying to unlearn stuff, you already know. If you have the support of a specialist eating disorders team or a mental health team, then fantastic. They should be able to guide you and support you with the steps and the changes that you need to make to untangle the whole eating disorder mess. However, not everyone has that kind of support or perhaps you have support, but it's just not enough. It's not what you need to get better. And that's what I'm going to focus on mainly in this episode, working out where to start with recovery when you're pretty much doing it by yourself. I do have a specialist eating disorders team. But the first time I recovered, I did it all by myself. And even this time, I'm mostly doing it by myself. And that's not because the team won't help me. I just don't know that there's anything the team can do that will help me. And I'll probably get into more of that as I go on with this episode. Once I'd finished bawling my eyes out because I was so completely overwhelmed by everything I was able to sit back breathe and think a bit more logically the first bit of advice I would give and this is for anyone in recovery whether you've got support or not don't focus on the finishing line don't look at everything you have got to change all at once look at the first mile marker It's much, much easier to cope with when you take it in small pieces. Certainly, that's what I've found has worked for me. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about all-in recovery. I'm going to start by briefly telling you what I believe all-in to be. And if I'm wrong, please do feel free to correct me. All in is when you give up all your eating disorder behaviours. So you don't weigh yourself, you don't count calories, you don't engage in any compensatory behaviours such as purging, exercising, etc. And you eat whatever you want whenever you want it. It means gaining weight very fast and it means eating an awful lot of food. And the difference between all in recovery and binging is that you are being more mindful when you're doing all in recovery. You're not thinking too hard about, do I really want this? But you're not mindlessly stuffing your face with whatever you can get your hands on the way you might be, the way that I do when I binge. As a concept... I absolutely love the idea of All In and I have so much respect for those people who have done it and are doing it right now. It's kind of like the difference between ripping a plaster off or peeling it slowly, millimetre by millimetre. I've always been somebody who peels the plaster off slowly to try and minimise the pain, but let me tell you, once you have had a bikini wax, yeah, ripping a plaster off, no bother. All in is not the only option for recovery. And you do need to think carefully about whether or not it really is for you. There is the risk of refeeding syndrome. And I would certainly not advise going all in if you don't have medical supervision I would love to be able to do all in but I'm a binger and a purger and so I know it's not going to work for me. I have tried it in the past and found that I'll go one, maybe two days And then I'll go into absolute panic mode and go straight back to all my eating disordered behaviours. So I'm not actually getting anywhere with recovery. I'm kind of dipping my toe in the water and then running away squealing. I think all in is incredibly hard to do if you are completely by yourself. Challenging every single behaviour all at once is so hard. And it's certainly not something I have been able to do. And believe me, I still have an awful lot of eating disorder behaviours I engage in. So now I'm going to talk to you about slow and steady recovery, which is the method, I guess, I'm using. And it's probably the one that most people tend to use. It's certainly the one that they use in treatment with meal plans and putting the weight on more gradually. I know when I was in hospital, there was another patient who was saying she was hungry and asking if she could please have some more food, and she was told no because it wasn't on her meal plan. And that, to me, seems really counterproductive because you're telling somebody who has a restrictive eating disorder that they can't eat more food. So you're kind of reinforcing the eating disorder thoughts of, I shouldn't be eating this, I want more food, I'm greedy, by saying, no, you can't have more food because it's not on the meal plan. I can understand why they do it, but I don't have to agree with it. And I certainly don't. I think there needs to be some degree of flexibility because often in recovery people can experience extreme hunger and I'm sure everyone at some point in their life has had a time when they feel absolutely ravenous and it's horrible. I hate being hungry, that's why I'm a binge purge subtype and Forcing somebody to feel hungry when they've spent years of their life feeling hungry. It's just, it, it just makes no sense to me. But anyway, I'm not going to keep ranting on at you. I don't want this episode to be more than half an hour long. I started by looking at all the things I needed to change and picking one thing that I thought realistically would be manageable for me. The thing I chose was to reduce how often I weighed myself. I used to weigh myself every single day and it didn't matter what the scale said. By the time I went to bed that evening, I was so anxious and worried about what the scale was going to say the next day. I didn't stop weighing myself altogether because that would have been too terrifying and too much. But I stopped weighing myself every single day and began weighing myself once a week. And that was my starting point. And once I had done that for a couple of weeks and was able to do it consistently, then I looked at moving on to the next thing. Throughout most of my eating disordered life, well, I should probably say throughout most of my life, I have viewed the binge and purge behaviour very much as being the problem and the thing I want to change. The restrictive anorexic behaviour, not so much. I feel it's important to mention that my binges are almost always driven by physical or mental hunger. If you have emotional triggers for your binges, then the approach I took may not be one that will work for you. The only thing I can advise is trial and error. That's how I did it and it's all a learning process. Now, this is where things begin to get rather tricky for me because in order to stop my binging, I need to eat more food. Fair enough, seems logical. The problem I had is that I was eating more food And then I was binging and purging less, but because I was eating more food, I increased my exercise. In the same way, whenever I tried to decrease my exercise, I would also decrease my food intake. So I was effectively just compensating. So whatever I was working on, yeah, that could be going brilliantly, but I wasn't actually recovering or in active recovery because I was undoing all of my hard work and I think that is a very common trap that we can fall into. I thought I was in recovery but actually I wasn't. I was stuck in my little hamster wheel endlessly running and getting nowhere. So there I was wanting to work on reducing the binge purge behaviour because that's the thing that for me was most problematic and causing me the most distress but trying to tackle it at that stage it was just too much for me and it wasn't working so I had to step back and think right okay that's not working why is it not working The reason it wasn't working for me is because I was counting calories obsessively. If you have MyFitnessPal or any other calorie tracking app, I want you to pick up whatever device that app is on and I want you to delete it. And I know you probably won't because you probably feel you need it. You don't need it. I stopped counting calories and, oh my God, life-changing, literally. I am still vaguely aware of what calories are in the things I'm eating, but I wouldn't be able to tell you. I used to be a calorie dictionary, and if you have an eating disorder, you'll know exactly what I mean. I, I've always hated maths, and yet numbers have ruled most of my life. I stopped calorie counting and suddenly I found I was able to eat a little bit more because I was somebody who had a strict calorie limit and to go one calorie over was the end of the world. So when I I took that away, it gave me the freedom to eat a little bit more. And I'm not talking about massive changes. They were just little changes, like adding one thing extra in at lunch. And I found that I was doing it. And then I was binge purging because I couldn't cope with the guilt. But the next day, I would try it again. And the same thing would happen. And the next day, I'd try it again and manage to cope with the guilt. And then the next day, I was back to not being able to handle it and purging. And I just had to keep trying. And even if I failed, you know, seven days in a row, I had to keep trying. And gradually, the days in which I succeeded became far more than the days in which I failed. And I went from somebody who binged and purged almost every single evening to somebody who is able to do it on two days a week. Sometimes I go through rough patches and it may happen more frequently than this, but it's all part of the recovery process and the recovery journey. And I just have to grit my teeth, get through it and just keep going and just keep trying. So by stopping counting calories, I was able to better cope with eating a bit more and not purging. And I didn't feel I had to increase my exercise to make up for the extra food I was consuming. I was then able to start to cut down a bit on how much exercise I did because It was really taking its toll on my body. I was in a lot of pain. My hips ached, my back ached, my knees ached, my feet ached. I actually got sent for an x-ray once because they thought I might have fractured my foot from walking so much. I hadn't. But, you know, the fact that they thought that was a possibility, just, yeah, not good. I do still have issues with compulsive exercise. However, since I reduced the amount that I do, I don't have back pain. I don't have sore feet. My hips don't hurt. My knees still do, but I think that's probably just my age. Since I made these changes, suddenly I have time to read a book. I have time to watch crap on TV. I have time to do this podcast. I wouldn't have been able to do a podcast back in the days when I was giving so much of my time and energy to these eating disordered behaviors. I would have been too exhausted physically and mentally to even string a sentence together. So you don't have to make massive changes for you to notice a big change in the quality of life you are leading. I was sacrificing things that made me happy just so that I could do things that made me miserable. I did not want to be out walking for hours in torrential rain or snow or on icy pavements. And I don't know about you, but whenever I walk on an icy surface, I am going so slowly and I am like Bambi. And then I'll see somebody on the other side of the road just walking normally on the ice. How do they do it and not fall flat on their face or their bum? If you do know the answer, please let me know because I would love to be able to do that. At the moment, my favourite thing to do in the summer when it's really hot and sunny is to sit outside on a sun lounger with a book. I am like a lizard and by that I mean cold-blooded, I am not green and scaly, and I certainly do not intentionally eat insects. So there you go, bugs are my fear food. Anyway, I couldn't do that when I was wasting time indoors, stuffing my face and then throwing it all back up, or instead of relaxing in the sun and enjoying the lovely weather, I was out walking and all I could think about was how badly I wanted to be lying down on that lounger with my nose in a book. I chose to start with reducing how often I weighed myself. Now you could be listening to this and thinking, Kaz, I can't do that yet, that is just way too much for me. And that's absolutely fine because everyone has to start somewhere. And if you can't make changes around your weight or your eating or your exercise at the moment, that doesn't matter. If you sit and really think about it, you'll probably find there are smaller things that you could make changes to. For example, if you're someone who cuts your food into lots of little bits, try cutting it into less bits. And that might not feel or sound like much, but believe me, It is, because every bit of progress is still progress. And every single time you challenge an eating disorder rule or thought, that is you fighting the illness as a whole. Something I've also learned very recently, by which I mean in the last couple of months, is the importance of just checking in with yourself every so often and asking yourself the question am I still making choices which are good for my recovery? And what I mean by that is if, for example, you've decided to add in a yogurt to your daily intake and the yogurt you have chosen is a Muller Light, have you chosen that because you genuinely find the taste of a Muller Light yogurt better than a normal yogurt? In which case, I will not believe you, or are you choosing it because it's easier for you to cope with and it feels more comfortable? If it's the second reason, ask yourself, is that really the choice I should be making for recovery? I think it's also important to watch that you're not swapping old eating disorder behaviours for new ones. For example, if you give up calorie counting, but you're tracking your macros. I have never tracked macros. My knowledge of macros is fairly limited. And to be honest, I'm quite happy to keep it that way. But it's just another way of tracking what you eat. I have definitely managed to avoid falling into this trap. But I have witnessed so many others slip into it. And that is mistaking healthy for recovery. And what I mean by that is eating foods that you think or society tells us are healthy, but still continuing to restrict your intake of foods that are deemed unhealthy. So if you are adding extra protein in, to every single meal, you need to ask yourself, why am I doing that? Is it because I am trying really hard to build muscle or I'm someone who has a really poor protein intake? And I will be honest here and say, in the past, I have had periods when I have had protein shakes and protein bars. And the reason for that is that I have been trying to build muscle and I am somebody whose diet does tend to lack in protein. I am very, very much into my carbs. Protein tends to get left by the wayside. When I was doing this, however, I was not in my eating disorder. It was during the period where I had fully recovered. But the point that I'm making is, are you choosing to have overnight oats with protein powder added because that's what you genuinely want to have for your breakfast? Or is it because that is the healthy choice and the breakfast that is all over Instagram? If you are cutting out certain foods or food groups because you view them as unhealthy, then you are still eating in a restrictive manner and it's going to undermine the hard work that you are putting in. When you're trying to do recovery by yourself, it is such a fine balancing act between pushing yourself hard enough that you are still actively in recovery but not so hard that you can't cope I find the anorexic voice is very much still alive and kicking in my head and screaming at me almost constantly. The difference now is that I let it scream and I acknowledge that it's there, but I try really hard not to act on it or to internalise any of the thoughts that are coming from that. I found it really helpful in coping with the guilt I feel after eating to engage in a task that is going to use both my hands and my brain. So it's something I can do sitting down. It's not going to be any sort of strenuous activity. But for me, it tends to be something like watching TV, listening to a podcast. I mean, hey, there's a podcast right here, folks, if you're looking for something to listen to. And while I'm doing that, I'll maybe do some cross stitch or crochet or colouring in so that my hands are engaged and my brain is focused. And it just makes it easier to kind of tune that voice out or at least turn the volume down a bit. Maybe some of the things I have mentioned in this episode could be helpful for you and maybe they absolutely won't. You've got nothing to lose from giving it a go. Recovery, it's a long, hard slog and a learning process. But if you decide at any point you don't want to do it, you don't have to. The eating disorder is always going to be there. Any weight you gain, you can lose again. Hopefully, You won't want to and hopefully if you've gone through all the distress and trauma and I do not feel that those words are too strong for a description of eating disorder recovery but if you've gone through all that and all the tears and all the pain and all the rage and frustration and everything else that you feel with it is it really worth going back to the eating disorder. Because I can tell you right now from personal experience, having gone through the whole recovery process and lived a life completely free from any kind of eating disorder thoughts or behaviours to then find I have slipped back and I am going to have to go through the entire recovery process again, it's almost soul-destroying. It's so not worth it. And if I could go back to when I was 31 and my eating disorder resurfaced and tell that 31-year-old me what the future had in store, I think I would have made some very, very different decisions in my life. And don't get me wrong, as soon as I realised I was slipping, I tried to get help. I was straight to my GP but unfortunately as I'm sure many listeners will have experienced themselves I was told I wasn't a low enough weight to get help. I wasn't unwell enough to get help and that again is something I may well discuss in another episode but for now I am going to bring this one to a close. I want to thank everyone who has listened to this episode and the previous two that I have done. I am planning to do another three episodes for series one and then I will probably take a break of about four weeks and maybe come back with a second series, just depending on how I'm feeling, how I'm doing and how this current series of the podcast goes down. I'm certainly enjoying making it. And I would like to carry on. And I've got plenty of ideas for things to talk about. But for now, take care of yourself. And I really hope you'll come back in two weeks for the next episode. You've been listening to My Chaotic Mind with me, please do rate share and subscribe to this podcast if you have enjoyed it you can follow me on instagram at edpodcast that is edpodcast c a z please do feel free to send me a direct message on there if you want to and i hope to see you back here soon for the next episode